You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Good morning. Good to be with you today. May God bless you as we study His Word together. And I want to echo Rich's welcome to those of you online with us this morning. Thank you for being with us today. Jesus is hard to figure out sometimes, especially if you're just getting to know him. But even if you've been around him a while, he can be hard to figure out. He does crazy things sometimes. He surprises us sometimes. Like in John chapter 6, which we studied a few weeks ago as we've been journeying through the book of John. We're coming up toward the end of uh, this study of the gospel of John. In John 6, Jesus fed a crowd of over 5,000 people, excuse me, of over 5,000 people from just five small loaves of bread and two small fish. That was surprising. That was surprising enough by itself. But then when all the people decided to follow him and tried to make him king, he left them. And then when they went looking for him and found him again, he said they didn't come looking for him so they could receive the word of God, but so that they could get more miraculous food. And so there was good surprise, the miracle, and hard surprise, Jesus rebuking the people for their bad motives. We might have expected Jesus just to be glad people were following him. But Jesus is hard to figure out sometimes. Yet when we do figure him out, when we get it, in in this case, that he's trying to lead people not to himself but to God, When we get that, then it makes sense. And we see that what Jesus does is good. Even today, Jesus can be hard to figure out. His church can be hard to figure out as it follows him. I've told you before, uh, it's been a while though, about a woman I met in the church in Memphis, Tennessee, many years ago when I was a student there. She had been a prostitute But some Christians had come into her life, helped her get into a job training program, taught her about Jesus. And I wonder if the love of Jesus that she felt through the church might have been tough for her to figure out at first. Because, you know, it broke her expectations. It broke the patterns of how people usually treated her. And then there was a man that I knew who was following, uh, learning to follow Jesus, learning to. But when he read the teachings of Jesus and his apostles about sexual morality and ethics and that God does not permit us to sleep around, he wasn't sure what to do with that. That was tough for him. He wasn't sure what a life of celibacy would look like or if he wanted that kind of life. Why Jesus would demand this of him was hard for him to figure out. It was disorienting. Being around Jesus can be disorienting. And never more so than on the day of his resurrection. I'd like us to look today at John chapter 20 again. Same text as last week. But we're going to look at it from a little different perspective today. This time I'd like us to consider the process that Jesus' disciples went through as they began to realize on the day of Jesus' resurrection what God had just done. Jesus' disciples that day went through this process, each in their own way, four steps, 
First, disorientation. Disorientation, if you're keeping the notes in the, in the bulletin, disorientation. Second, confusion. Third, doubt. And fourth, reorientation. Reorientation. And this is the process that we all go through whenever Jesus surprises us. And that often happens when we are first getting to know him. And sometimes it happens later, too, when we discover something new in the scriptures or when we find ourselves challenged by God's commands in a way that we had not expected. We get disoriented. And then we're confused as we try to figure out what's going on with Jesus here. And then sometimes we, we doubt, like, I'm not, I'm not sure that's a good way to live. And then hopefully we get it. We see what God is doing. We come to understand Jesus better. We experience reorientation around who Jesus is and what God is doing in our lives. Why did he rebuke the people who ate the miraculous loaves and fish and then tried to follow him? Oh, it was because he wanted them to come to find God, not to come for the free food. What good is free food if you never come to know God? Okay, let's take a look at how this process works with the people we encounter in John chapter 20, beginning with Peter and John. John, uh, we think, is the disciple who, uh, who is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. We think that's what John calls himself in his gospel. So let's start in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. It's a wonderful story. As we talked about last week, our hope in Jesus is wrapped up in the power of God who raised him from the dead that day and in the reality that God raises the dead, that he raised Jesus. But of course, Peter and John didn't know yet what had happened. So a question, why did Peter and John run? Why did they run? It's because Mary came and said, his body isn't there. They've moved it. It's gone. We don't know where they put it. That was not what they had expected. So they run to the tomb. They look inside. They try to figure out what's going on. That's disorientation. When the way you think things are suddenly is not. And your brain has to grapple with, what do we do with this now? They go to the tomb and there's no body there. Just the burial clothes. And John begins to believe. He starts to move very quickly past 
confusion and doubt toward reorientation. He is re-understanding what's going on in the world around him. He believes that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, he doesn't have it all figured out yet. As he says in the next verse, they didn't understand from, that Scripture said this would happen. But he's beginning to, be, to believe. He's beginning to be reoriented to, to what's going on. But Luke chapter 24, verse 12, says that after Peter looks inside the tomb, he goes away wondering to himself what has happened. He has not figured it out. He's still in the confused stage. He's disoriented, then he's confused, trying to figure this out. What has happened with Jesus' body? And we do this sort of thing with Jesus all the time, especially as we're first getting to know him. We see something in him or in his teachings or in his church, and we just can't figure it out. Like that man I knew. What could be wrong with sleeping around as long as both parties consent? People do this in our culture all the time. What could be wrong with this? Why should God not like that? Doesn't God want us to be happy? Disorientation. Confusion. Just can't figure it out. Or like that woman who was a prostitute. Can you imagine how confusing it could be at first? After years and years of being treated like something to be bought, to suddenly be surrounded by a community of people who see the image of God in you and value you and love you just because God made you to be his child. Then look at how this process works with Mary Magdalene. Now, she has already started with disorientation when she went to the tomb and found it empty and couldn't figure out why Jesus' body was gone. Now she's in the confusion stage, and she's grieving because she doesn't know what to do next, where to find Jesus' body. So let's pick up in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Did you catch the moment when Mary figured out what had happened? When she moved from disorientation to reorientation? Glorious moment. Jesus speaks her name. And suddenly she realizes he's not the gardener. He's the Lord. He's the teacher. The disorientation of finding Jesus' body gone leads to the confusion of not knowing where to look for it. 
And in her confusion, she grieves and she weeps. But when Jesus speaks her name, she skips the doubt stage, just jumps right over that, and goes straight to reorientation, suddenly absorbing the reality standing before her. Jesus is alive. And it probably took a while for her to digest what that all meant, all of its implications. But she's reoriented enough at this point to go to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. Think about Mary for a moment. Sometimes Jesus confuses us and we're distraught, disoriented, trying to figure him out. Sometimes we're upset because we don't understand or we don't like what we think we're seeing. And then the Lord sort of speaks to us through the scriptures or through insight from the Holy Spirit, or through a word given to us by the church, and suddenly we get it. Maybe a person struggles with God's command to not get drunk, and it's a struggle because, hey, I need this to help me unwind after a long day. God's okay with that, right? It it relaxes me. It's helpful to me. But then one morning they wake up with their head pounding, and their family and friends furious with them, and suddenly they get it. They get it. God is trying to protect me from this. God is actually trying to make my life, my health, my relationships better. Reorientation. That moment when we get what God is doing. Mary told the disciples that she had seen Jesus, but you can tell that the group is not yet convinced that Jesus is alive from the dead because when Jesus appears to them that evening, they're hiding behind locked doors, hiding away from the Jewish leaders. They're not filled with confidence and joy at this point. Let's pick up in verse 19 now. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Question, why did Jesus show the disciples his hands and his side? Why did they need that? I think I would have needed it too. They needed to, to see and maybe, maybe touch. He's helping them move from disorientation. What, the tomb was empty? Uh, through confusion, what does this mean? Uh, maybe even through doubt, Could Mary be lying about having seen Jesus? Did she hallucinate it, imagine it, dream it? To reorientation, figuring out that God has, in fact, raised Jesus from the dead. And they're overjoyed. Reorientation begins when they get what God has done here. And then Jesus begins to orient them even further toward the mission he's giving them, where the Holy Spirit will come into their lives and they will be sent by Jesus, to help people come to God and find forgiveness of sins. One of the great reorientations that people who are already Christians experience 
is coming to understand that A, Jesus died for us. B, God raised him from the dead. C, God promises to raise all who come to him through Jesus. And D, here's the surprise, God has work for us to do. Jesus told his disciples in verse 21, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He is sending them out to continue his work to bring people to God. And so you and I might go through the wonderful disorientation of realizing God loves me just the way I am. Too much to leave me that way, but he loves me as I am. And Jesus died for me, even though I wasn't worthy. But then Jesus wants more from us than, hey, stay faithful and you get to go to heaven. That's good, but he wants more than that. He says things like, and this is more than just be faithful, right? This is go and, go and do. He says things like, go let your light shine before others. And he says, as you have opportunity, do good to all people. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And suddenly, it makes sense. You figure it out. God's goal isn't merely to get me to heaven, but his goal is to save me and then send me to help others get to eternal life too. Because God loves me and he loves them. And he desires us all. Reorientation, when we see the purposes of God in Christ more clearly. And then there's Thomas. We sang about him a few minutes ago. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. And so imagine his disorientation when he heard them say that they saw Jesus alive. It's like if your whole life you had never been around Christians. And based on things you'd heard about them in culture, on TV, and among friends, you didn't trust Christians. And religious people can be dangerous, you know. And then one of your best friends became a Christian. What would you do with that? And what if they told you, Jesus is changing my life. He's making me a better person. Well, that would go against everything that you thought you knew about Christians. You'd really have to figure that out. It might be confusing. You might have some doubts about your friend. You'd need to watch for a while and see just how your friend's new faith did change them and whether it was good. Thomas doesn't yet believe the impossible has happened and Jesus is alive. He can't believe without stronger evidence. He has doubts. He's stuck firmly in the doubt phase of this process. Verse 24. Terry read this for us a little bit ago. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciple told him, we have seen, other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. <clears throat> a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, 
my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thomas doubted. His disorientation and confusion became doubt when he was presented with information that didn't make sense. Like if you have a friend who doesn't trust the Christian faith and who just found out you're a Christian, they may respect you but still have doubts about the truth of what we believe. Thomas had doubts. The claim that Jesus had risen from the dead was hard for him to grasp, to believe. But Thomas did one thing right. He stayed around long enough to find out what was true. He was there when Jesus appeared to the disciples again. And when he saw Jesus, saw his hands, heard his voice, he believed disorientation that had become confusion and then doubt now became the most certain reorientation. Jesus truly was risen from the dead. Thomas believed he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Thomas believed God raises the dead. Thomas believed. And in fact, what Thomas did right is also what Peter and John did right. And it's what Mary did right. And it's what the whole group of disciples did right when Jesus first appeared to them. When they were disoriented, confused, doubtful, when Jesus surprised them and they couldn't figure out what was going on, they stayed. They didn't give up in their confusion and run away. They, they didn't tell God, I'm done with you. They stayed. Some of them stayed near Jesus' empty tomb, trying to figure this out. Some of them uh, stayed near the other disciples, working the problem together, trying to understand. They stayed, and they searched for what is true. And they found it. God always wants us to find what is true. Ask and it will be given to you, Jesus said. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. God wants us to seek and find what is true. Mary stayed near Jesus' tomb, searching for his body, trying to figure out where to look for it. And she saw Jesus. Peter and John ran to the tomb. They found it empty. Later they rejoined the other disciples and they saw Jesus. Even Thomas, even though he doubted, he stayed with the other disciples and he saw Jesus alive from the dead. And God opened their eyes to his most amazing work in Jesus. Wherever you are in this process of getting to know Jesus or getting to know him better, disorientation, confusion, Doubt, reorientation. Wherever you're at in the process, stick around a while. and Give God a chance to help you figure out Jesus. Jesus can be tough to figure out sometimes. He surprises us. He doesn't always do what we expect. He wants you to, God wants you to know Jesus, his son, to know his teachings, to know his church, and to know God's promise to give us life through Jesus. Verses 30 and 31, right at the end of John 20, are the reorientation, 
that John wants us to experience. To come through all the wondering and the trying to figure out who Jesus is. In fact, that's been the whole story of the Gospel of John. The whole Gospel of John is about people trying to figure out who is Jesus. And they're confused. They're disoriented. They doubt. Uh, in one spot, they, they uh, uh, question whether Jesus might be possessed by a demon. They, they don't know what to do with Jesus. But John wants us, as he takes us on that journey of trying to figure Jesus out, to come through all that confusion around Jesus until we begin to see him clearly. That he truly is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If Jesus confuses you as you're getting to know him, if he confuses you as you've known him a while, but then something about him surprises you, about his teachings, about what he expects of us, take your time. If something seems odd, Give it time. Study it deeply. Think about it. Ask others about it. Stay close, like Mary and Thomas and Peter and John. Keep digging. Find out what is true. Jesus promised to seek and you will find. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know Jesus. If Jesus truly is the Son of God, you need to know that. Find out what is true. May God bless you. Let's pray together. Our God, as we seek you, some as uh, just curious about Jesus, some uh, as just wondering what he's all about, and many of us here dedicated to following him, some uh, for just for weeks and others for decades, Lord, um, as we seek Jesus and as we find him confusing sometimes and struggle to understand him, give us eyes to see him clearly. Give us ears to listen to your voice. Give us uh, hearts that uh, seek what is true and that are willing to stay a little while to work on this and to uh, figure it out until we understand it. Help us not to give up on you in our frustration or our grief when you don't do what we expected or hoped, but help us to walk with you. We thank you for your promise that all who seek you find you, and that to those who knock, the door will be opened. Lord, we have found this to be true. As we've walked with you again and again, you have brought us through our disorientation, our confusion, our doubt. You have reoriented us to the truth of your Son and to the goodness of your ways. We confess, O oh God, that you are good, and we rededicate, our, rededicate ourselves to following you today. Help us understand your ways. Help us to come to know you better and better, especially through Jesus, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.